When we reflect on kind of the span of our lives and times of epiphany, of when it feels really meaningful, when we feel like we're really living it, we can ask that question like, so what makes it possible to have those moments? I think it's an important question. What makes it possible? What inside us is making it possible to have a real epiphany, a real moment that really matters to us? And when we look, there's a kind of common denominator. There might be different flavors of what we sense. Well, what was it inside me that made it possible? But the common denominator is a quality of presence, that we were there for it, right? In some way, we, we weren't planning our future, we weren't at war with how things were, we weren't complaining in that moment or those moments, we weren't trying to fix something. There's a fundamental quality that makes us available for the really meaningful moments and that's a receptivity, kind of agreeing to the life of the moment, presence. Thomas Merton writes, Of what avail is it if we can travel to the moon, if we cannot cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? This is the most important of all journeys, and without it, all of the rest are useless. So when we use the language of homecoming, when we use the language of presence, it really means that we've crossed that abyss. We're no longer living in this kind of dissociated way where we're, our bodies are here but our minds are somewhere else. We've crossed the abyss. We've come home to hereness. And it's the only place where we can really experience love. Love matters to us. And that's the only... We can have ideas about love, we can have plans for love, we can have memories of love. It's the only place we can have the living, embodied experience of love. It's the only place we can have a true realization of reality. We can have concepts. It's right here. So the power of practice, I mean, the reason we do what we call practice, and I have some problems even with the word practice, but um, the reason we come together with a sincerity and intend to be here is because there's something in us, some, some truth that knows that this capacity for hereness is what really gives our life meaning. Otherwise, it's like we're doing all this stuff, we're racing through our life, we're skimming the surface, we're never arriving. We're on our way always to something else. So tonight, I'd like to talk about a key element in arriving here, which is what I call a listening presence. Maybe start with a poem I bought. This is a, a Rumi poem. Just listen and take it in. Rumi writes, this is called Be Melting Snow. Totally conscious and apropos of nothing you come to see me. 
Is someone here, I ask? The moon, the full moon is inside your house. My friends and I go running out into the street. I'm in here, comes a voice from the house, but we aren't listening, we're looking up at the sky. Lo, I am with you always means when you look for God, God is in the look of your eyes, in the thought of looking nearer to you than yourself are things that have happened to you. There's no need to go outside. Be melting snow. Wash yourself of yourself. A white flower grows in the quietness. Let your tongue become that flower. So the quietness that Rumi talks about really is a listening presence. It's a presence that's not trying to do something or make something happen or get somewhere. It's just this here-ness. There's that new age adage, you know, that we're always a human doing, not a human being. But it's actually a good one. It's a good one. We leave home our beingness. Not because activity is wrong. Activity is part of nature. But because we get lost in the sense of a self that's doing. And we leave this listening presence. So the key feature, it's not controlling anything. There's no way to be intimate. There's no way to be intimate with each other, our inner life, if we can't listen deeply. A listening presence is what allows us to understand the truth of what's here. We can't see another person truly unless we stop and listen. So if we start exploring, okay, how come it's so difficult? Because the truth is, it is really difficult. Some of the research I've read is that 85% of what we know we learn by listening. We spend about 45% of our time listening. We have two ears and one mouth, so you'd think the ratio would be twice as much listening to speaking, but it's not like that, you know. There's this addiction to having the mind kind of putting out a lot of noise. And it's hard because we're very addicted to trying to get somewhere and try to figure something out. We really are addicted. So listening means that we're willing to put down this project of continuously trying to get somewhere and figure things out. I shared at the, um, we had a day long on Saturday, Some of you might have seen this on YouTube, this hoax that was done somewhere recently at Grand Central Station in New York. How many of you saw that YouTube? Can I just see by hands? A smattering. It was great, wasn't it? (laughs) Okay, so here's what they did. Out front, this guy with a bullhorn gathered a lot of people that were about to go into Grand Central Station, a lot. It seemed like hundreds, but who knows. What's that? 130. So he gathered them, and the, and the plan was that everybody at a certain pre-designated moment was going to freeze in what they were doing, absolutely stop. 
And so that's what happened. At the designated moment, you had 130 people in the middle of Grand Central Station freezing, and one woman's eating a banana. And another guy's like waving to somebody, and somebody else is in the middle of a step, and somebody else is kind of like squatted down onto the floor, and they're just stopped. And then you watch the people, so they've paused, they, the action stopped, and then you watch everyone else, and they're like, at first they're kind of like, what? <laughs> and then there's this curiosity, and a kind of like, you know, doo 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 doo, Twilight Zone thing. Mostly it's kind of like astonishment otherworldly, because some people paused in the middle of this incessant rolling forward of activity that we're all in. We have to be able to pause. To listen means putting down that drive to keep on doing. Now the main, one of the main ways that we are driven to keep on doing and this is again the addiction, is that we're, we're trying to control what's happening. We cannot take in if we're trying to control. A story someone described, a mom visits her 20-year-old son John and he's living with a beautiful female roommate, Frances. The mom gets all suspicious and wants to know the deal. So she keeps covertly trying to get them to admit their relationship. Okay, tell me, tell me, I'm listening, what's happening? but of course they they sidestep her. She leaves. Three weeks later, the gravy ladle is missing. John writes a letter to his mom. It says, I'm not saying you took it, and I'm not saying you didn't, but if you know its whereabouts, please let me know. Letter comes back. I'm not saying you and Francis are sleeping together, (laughs) and I'm not saying you're not, but if you look in your roommate's bed, you'll find the ladle. (laughs) It's like... If we have an agenda, if we're trying to control things, there's not the presence that invites, invites truth. There's a, a Maxine cartoon on marriage, and it says, guess which four words a woman can say to scare a man out of his wits. So first you see Maxine in the guise of a... She's like a fireman, and her husband's there reading the newspaper, and she's going, our house is burning, our house is burning, and he's just going, mm... Then she comes in and she looks like an alien. She goes, the Martians have landed, the Martians have landed. And he's going, oh, really? And then she comes in like a doctor and she goes, you have terminal cancer. And he's going, "Uh uh-huh, that's nice, dear. And then she comes in as herself. We really need to talk with each other. (laughs) Oh, no, dear God, spare me, no. You know, it freaks him out. There is an aversion to pausing and being present and truly listening and aversion. So we can't listen if we're hooked on controlling, we can't listen if we're hooked on judging. And the truth is that for most of us there's enough of a kind of story that something's wrong and a feeling of insecurity that in our moments with each other and by ourselves Rather than listening to the moment, we're busy trying to defend against that insecurity. We're trying to protect ourselves, we're trying to prove ourselves, we're trying to assert our existence in the most fundamental way. Assert our existence. It's like when nothing's going on, there's something in us that wants to keep saying, I'm here, rather than listening. 
Are you listening? <laughs> so here's what William James did. He said, we have this ceaseless frenzy. This is, you know, a hundred some years ago. We're in a ceaseless frenzy. And he said that it's characterized by always thinking we should be doing something else. There is some momentum in us that makes it very hard to just stop, to just say stop and take in, listen. Listen without judgment, listen without an agenda. So I want to start with the hard part because the Buddha described it in pretty simple terms which we've explored here, which is that in any moment there's unpleasantness, pleasantness, and neither that is distinct and we have a reaction to all three that when it's pleasant rather than just listening and receiving the moment we try to hold it when it's unpleasant rather than just opening and receiving the moment we try to resist it and when it's neither we kind of shut down we kind of just check out so the practice of listening, which is really a life practice, means seeing that kind of reactivity. And if you really look close at that reactivity, what you see is that in every moment that there's a reaction, it consolidates a sense of a self that's trying to make this happen or avoid that from happening. It consolidates our story about who we are and it makes us limited and small in every moment of reaction. Okay, so this is the big picture. When we're not in a listening presence, when we're in a try-to-control-my-world kind of mode, we are reinforcing the sense of a vulnerable self, an insufficient self, a self that's separate. It's been described as the case of mistaken identity. And I'm framing it this way because the power of truly listening, and when I mean truly listening, stopping and really letting it wash through without controlling, the power of it is it cuts through that trance, which is the very reason we don't do it very much. We're afraid to to lose our trance. It leaves us off balance, groundless, scared. But it also leaves us with the possibility of directly experiencing love, directly experiencing the mystery. There's an image that I was reading one woman's reflections on on listening, Brenda Veland, and she described our energy, our life energy, like this creative fountain. And that all of us have the same source, the same pure waters, the same, you know, awareness, love source of these fountains. And that we're here to kind of have our fountains do their fountaining and, and just express that way, express our love, express our awareness. But what happens, and this I think is really kind of interesting, is that when we haven't been listened to, others, when others haven't listened to us, or when we don't know how to listen inwardly, the flow of that fountain starts shutting down. 
It gets kind of caked over with our defenses and our strategies. It's like, oh, there's not, this, this world's not receiving me. Oh, okay. And then we kind of back off. And, and the strategies of whether it's to prove ourselves or control another or impress, they kind of, they're the, they form the algae or the caked over stuff and the fountain stops flowing in a clear, pure way. So then what we get is rather than living from essence, so we're with each other and we're speaking, rather than our words coming from the truth and aliveness and spontaneity of our being, because the fountain has stopped flowing, really what comes out is kind of prepackaged stuff. It's contrived. It's torqued by the effort to have someone else have a certain experience of us. Does this make sense? I'm just kind of checking around. Because I thought it was a very, really beautiful metaphor that there really is this energy of what we are that can flow through us, but it gets kind of cramped and caked over when we don't listen inwardly and others are, we haven't been listened to. It loses its pure flow. So listening, as I was describing before, this listening presence that, and I'm going to talk about it both how we offer it to our own beings and how we can offer it to each other, invites back the flow of that spirit, that purity. So we commune with each other from the depths, not from a superficial place. Now, in terms of the process of listening and inviting back this flow, what first can happen, and for those of you that have sat at uh, longer retreats, because a retreat is basically an agreement to come and get quiet and listen to what's here, right? Not so many distractions. And what first happens often is we start listening in all the places that have not been listened to and are hurting, all the places we've been running away from, that's the first thing that starts appearing. So the first parts of the fountain that start flowing can seem a bit murky and difficult. It's okay, it's the fact that they're flowing is great. We just have to have this willingness to keep listening, keep offering that same warm, receptive presence to whatever wants to start expressing in us. And as we do, the fountain starts coming from a deeper and deeper and more pure and more alive place. So the basic principle is, if we're listening inwardly and we learn to stay and keep listening, the more that we include that wants to express itself, the more it will come from that source from that love, from that purity. So we'll take a pause and practice a little the inward listening that as we do this, just to know that there's some different possibilities when we start listening inwardly. And one is that our mind does what it is so conditioned to do, which is it immediately takes off and fixates on different thoughts and so on, not to judge it. Listen to that too. The second possibility is that if we really start staying, that we might start touching into some vulnerability. Keep listening. 
And then the, the third, which is really the fruit of listening, is that we come home into the presence itself, into the purity, into the source of the fountain. So this will be just a brief reflection on listening, much like our opening meditation, just to keep connected with direct experience. The beginning of a listening attention is to relax and relax and then see if you can relax a little more. For some, that half smile, it's part of the nervous system becoming receptive. Soften the eyes, shoulders, hands, belly, so that you can feel an openness in the torso. Maybe take a few full breaths. So you can feel this here-ness being right here, senses awake, listening to the sounds in the room, and the sounds outside the room. This global listening that really lets everything in. Let's life and sound wash through. See if you can feel the space that's here in the room. Feel the sounds. Just as you listen to sounds outside, you can listen to and feel the life inside the body. Really listening, receptive, not controlling, including sensations. space of listening. Listening to this whole symphony of sound.
Notice how you can keep letting go and letting go and letting more and more of this aliveness and sound wash through you. Be melting snow. Wash yourself of yourself. Perhaps as you're resting in a listening presence, there's a sense of vulnerability inside. For some, maybe anxiety or loneliness, sorrow. Just let let it be. Let these currents, this weather be there with an intimate listening just as if you'd listen to a loved one in trouble. Just listen to and feel what's right here. So you can listen to the sounds, the space in the room, And you can listen to and feel the heart. There's room for whatever's arising in this vast space, this listening presence. When you notice thinking, just sense the thoughts as more sounds in the mind. When we're lost in thought, it's like we're inside a cloud, no longer connected with the aliveness of this symphony that's here. Again, Rumi says, you're covered with thick cloud. Slide out the side, die and be quiet. Quietness is the surest sign that you've died. Your old life was a frantic running from silence. The speechless full moon comes out now.
a listening presence really opens us to that quietness, to the silence that's our deepest nature. It's the silence that's listening. I love Rumi's language, the speechless full moon comes out now. And I found that I got drawn to two Rumi poems that both talked about the moon and then of course there's this total eclipse going on, right? (laughs) Who knows? So, just to summarize this part of our reflection together by saying that there is a process that happens when we listen that at first when we listen it creates a bit of openness and and then immediately some thoughts will rush in because it's our deep habit to frantically run away from the quietness. If we learn to stay and we keep listening, like that fountain I described, sometimes the muddiness, the what we might call the shadow or the demons, the what we've been running away from will begin to present itself if we keep on listening and include and include and just be that open space what we realize is that that silence, that stillness, that mystery is what we are. We become the space, the fountain of our life just flows freely and we're the space it's streaming through. If we know this power of listening inwardly, if we know how to pause and really attend, we can bring that same gift to each other. We can invite the flow of the the fountain to kind of resume, to really move and come alive through others. And it takes a real intention when we're with each other we get scared. I mean, it's our conditioning. We, we're afraid. We're wondering, what is that person going to think? What do they want? How am I being perceived? What needs to happen? We go into our insecure personas. So it takes a real intention to recognize all that and pause and listen. Listen to each other. How do we do it? same way that we listen inwardly, what's happening right now? Just to ask ourselves, what's going on right now? Make room for what's going on inside us. We can recognize that what's going on is someone else is talking. We can say, my friend is talking. We can say, I can be quiet. We can say, there's endless time. Because in a relative plane there's not, but truly when it's all dust to dust, there's time. There's time. We can say, I'm listening, I'm hearing the words, I'm hearing beyond the words, I'm hearing what's here, I'm hearing who's here. I'm I'm giving you actual phrases because it's very helpful because our conditioning, we go into this trance with each other where even when we stop and we look like we're listening, we're not. Our bodies aren't listening, our cells aren't taking in. We're not really the quietness that's present. So what happens is you begin when you're listening in this deep way not only to hear what the person's words are but hear what they're trying to say. 
what the need is, what the vulnerability is, and you also begin to hear the beauty. You begin to hear the fountain, the spirit that's coming through. And it's amazing how true listening brings out the truth. True listening brings out the truth. It's like you can consider when somebody, when you make a joke and if somebody laughs, you know how it brings out more of your jokes and your funniness comes out? It like brings it out. And you know how if you tell a joke and somebody just kind of doesn't laugh, how it dries up every last little joke in your body? Well, I mean, I've just, it's just amazing. Well, similarly, if you bring something difficult to someone and they in some way are trying to fix they're trying to feel good about themselves by how they respond they're trying to not have to deal with it there's any judgment there's an agenda it just blocks us from our vulnerability and if somebody really listens it draws out the sorrow, the tears and then the heart in a very beautiful way some of you might remember one of my favorite stories, this is from the Midwest, was of this family, young boy that lived next to an elderly couple and the woman in the elderly couple died and the old man was grieving a lot and the, the young boy would go over and visit him and he'd just sit on his lap and be with him. And some months later the man nominated the boy for the uh, kindest act in the year award or something with their local paper and the, the mother took the boy and, they, and he, he, got, he won this you know, kindness of the year award and on the way back she asked him "Hun, what was it that, that you were saying to him when, when he, all those times you'd go over and he said mommy I didn't say anything I just helped him to cry So what we offer is this space that invites the fountain, invites the sorrows, and invites the beauty that's there. It really helps another person come home. Brenda Veland, who I mentioned earlier, described her own experience, which I thought was really powerful, of because she's kind of trained herself as a listener and she's written about it and she described um, visiting a close friend of her father's and she hadn't seen him for 20 years so this is another story about an old older man and I think one of the reasons maybe men I'm focusing on men is because more in our culture men have got the culture forces a kind of drivenness where not to listen inwardly to their own emotions, not to be listened to uh, for their vulnerability and therefore not to be able to listen to others. It's just more that way with males in this culture. So she wrote about this man who um, she hadn't seen for, for, I guess, 20 years. And as it turns out, you know, he's very well off, very successful, great storyteller, spoke quickly, but when she spoke he'd get very restless. He'd say, well, can you go get my pipe or I need this? Or he just couldn't quite tune in. So he could take in books and newspapers and information but really not uh, listen to people. And it turned out the same thing had happened with her own father. Her own father had been like that, a really a brilliant scholar and a charismatic guy but he hadn't been able to, to listen to her. And with her own father 
it made her so restless she couldn't take him in, she always resisted him. And so she spent her life kind of armored and resisting her father because he would talk at, but there wasn't a mutuality. Well, so she, met, she was with this guy and, and the same thing was happening, but she was older and wiser and she decided, she, be, she became very patient. And she listened with her full attention and no resistance to his kind of outpouring of stories and this and that. And her theory was that if she could keep on listening and truly not resist his talk, truly be that open space, that he'd begin to calm down and find some tranquility and then have more of an openness and a capacity to listen himself. And so she spent a lot of days with him. And after a while, he began asking her questions. And she said to him, you see, it's difficult for you to really listen to me. And he froze. And he just looked at her. But because she had listened so purely, and I use the word purely on purpose, really with the agenda of just being there, because there was trust. So he said, tell me all about that, I want to know all about that. And she talked to him about his estrangement from his children and his wife, and how it wasn't possible to really let another in if you couldn't listen to them. It wasn't possible to be intimate. It wasn't possible to embody love in a way that could be felt and shared. He said that it changed his whole life. It mattered to him and it changed his whole life and that his children came closer and his wife seemed to care about him again and they could laugh and talk about all sorts of things. So maybe I'll just mention a few other things and we'll just close with a meditation. This has everything to do with societal healing too. Um, We all need to be listened to. I know that Archbishop Desmond Tutu describes this current era as a time of radical brokenness in all our relationships, this fear of each other and that the healing is in listening to each other's stories. I was just listening last night to Barack Obama's uh, speech and he was describing how you know, he had been kind of mocked for when he said he was willing to dialogue with adversaries, you know. And the truth is, do we think we can attack other people, not listen to other people and find any way to safety or peace on earth? I mean, do you think there'll ever be some true communing, some true coming together of peoples, whether it's from racial divides or ethnic divides or political divides, if there's not listening? Can we ever respond to the needs in people's hearts if we lock them in as enemy and think the way is to attack? This has to do with crossing the abyss in our own hearts, this inner listening, This has to do with truly embodying love with each other, so it's not an idea in our life. We become so lonely, so cut off, when we're lost in our thoughts and when we're not able to listen inwardly to each other and we become caught in cycles of violence on the globe when we lock into enemy and can't listen to others. In the Buddhist tradition this is called the path of the Bodhisattva and that Kuan Yin, the 
the goddess or bodhisattva of compassion is described in a very simple way as the listener to the sorrows of the world. We listen to the sorrows and we listen to the beauty. And we listen to each other in a deep way so that that fountain can flow and we can actually hear the music of the divine. We listen and we listen. I want to read you a poem by Mary Oliver and then we'll um, do a, a very short sitting to close. This is called The Dipper. Once I saw in a quick-falling white-veined stream among the leafed islands of the wet rocks a small bird and knew it from the pages of a book. It was the dipper, and dipping he was, as well as sometimes on a rock peak starting up the clear, strong pipe of his voice. At this, there being no words to transcribe, I had to bend forward, as it were, into his frame of mind, catching everything I could in the tone. I had to bend forward, as it were, into his frame of mind, catching everything I could in the tone, cadence, sweetness, and briskness of his affirmative report. Though not by words, it was a more satisfactory way to the bridge of understanding. A more satisfactory way to the bridge of understanding. This happened in Colorado more than a half a century ago, more certainly than half my lifetime ago. And just as certainly, he has been sleeping for decades in the leaves beside the stream, his crumble of white bones, his curl of flesh comfortable, even so. So you can hear the language of intimacy in this, in this listening, this listening presence that bridges understanding, that really connects us with what's here, what's here in our own hearts, what's here with each other. So we close in, in that spirit, if you will, just take a moment to, again, come sitting in a way that allows you to be present within. And give yourself a gift right now. Give yourself this gift of pausing. As Rumi says, there's no need to go outside. It's all here. The gateways to relax, to relax and to relax, be melting snow. listening to the sounds that are here. To the space that's here. It's said that this listening attention is the deepest expression of love just to listen to the heart that's right here, 
gentle, open, listening. Feeling our shared prayer, may we all and may all beings come home, come home to presence, come home to the source, the stillness and silence that's the source, the sacred source of these lives. May we realize our essence as loving presence. May our actions express that love in a way that brings peace and happiness and freedom to all beings. Namaste. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate